Section 7 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in July 2016. Essay 5 How the Fourth Dimension May Be Studied by Charles Henry Smith, Carl A. Richmond, Chicago, Illinois. Footnote Third Honorably Mentioned Essay. End footnote. A colony of bees housed in a hive with glass walls so that their every movement can be observed affords a very instructive lesson in natural history. Such a glass hive may also serve as a helpful illustration in a consideration of the fourth dimension. Let us imagine a hive with its floor and roof of horizontal glass plates brought so close together that there is barely room for the bees to move about between them, and, for the purpose of our illustration, let us endow the bees with the intelligence of men. To these bees, so confined, forward and backward, right and left, would be familiar ideas, and their world would be one of two dimensions only. Debarred from upward and downward movement by the closeness of the glass plates, the words up and down would be meaningless to them because there would be no experience upon which to base these ideas. Imperfect as is the illustration, it suggests the conception of a world of only two dimensions, length and breadth. Plane geometry is a science which deals with such figures as triangles, squares and circles. It is interesting to know that it originated in Egypt where it was developed to facilitate the measurement of land. This origin of the science gave rise to the name geometry, which means earth measurement. Long subsequent to the era of its Egyptian development, the science was extended under the names of solid geometry to a study of such figures as spheres, cubes and cones. The bees in the glass hive could move around a square, could make triangles and circles, and to them plain geometry would be a practical science. But with their ignorance of an up and down direction, a cube or a sphere would be inconceivable, and a third dimension would appear to them as absurd and unthinkable as a fourth dimension does to us. Suppose we lay two pencils on the table so as to cross one another at a right angle, and then hold a third pencil so as to form right angles with the other two. While this is obviously a possible thing for us to do, it would be impossible for the bees with their ignorance of the dimension of height. They could, of course, have two slender pencils in their hive at a right angle to one another, but they could not have a third pencil at right angles to both of the first two. We may look upon the two pencils as representing the two dimensions of the world of the bees and the three pencils as representing the three dimensions of our world. Suppose, further, that someone tells us to hold a fourth pencil at right angles with the other three. In our field of experience we can find no place for it, just as the bees could find no place in their field of experience for the third pencil. This fourth pencil represents the so-called fourth dimension. Although it is impossible for us to place it, the illustration of the relation of the bees to the third pencil or dimension teaches us that the limitations of experience 
ought not to be deemed conclusive as to how many dimensions space may have. It is a matter of pure speculation as to whether there is such a thing as a fourth dimension, whether there are beings of intelligence to whom phenomena are manifested in the form of four dimensions. It is by no means the attitude of mathematicians instantly to recoil from the suggestion, but they are pleased to go ahead and study as accurately as possible under the necessary limitations what may be the properties of a space of four dimensions, if there is any such thing. The fundamental guiding principle of their investigation is this. Whatever they find to be the relations of geometry of two dimensions to geometry of three dimensions, they assume that there are similar or analogous relations between geometry of three dimensions and geometry of four dimensions. As the circle is to the sphere, so is the sphere to some unknown body, which may have its existence in space of four dimensions. As the square is to the cube, so is the cube to a figure in space of four dimensions, which we may call the cuboid. Of course, the fourth dimension is intangible. Mathematicians do not ask us to imagine a fourth dimension, much less do they ask us to believe in it. It is not to be supposed that the most skilled student in this subject has a mental picture of four-dimensional space. Nevertheless, the properties and relations of figures existing in four-dimensional space may be investigated and stated. Algebra is the science of numbers. It is a very efficient aid in the study of geometry. Algebra deals largely with equations such as x times y is equal to 12, which means that x and y are two variable numbers that, multiplied together, give 12, as for example 3 and 4, or 5 and 2 two-fifths. All the simpler figures of geometry, such as the straight line and the circle, may be represented by equations. In other words, the equations are condensed descriptions of the respective geometrical figures, somewhat as a scorecard is a condensed description of a baseball game. Mathematicians have learned that the properties of geometrical figures can be studied far more readily by means of their equations than by means of the figures themselves. A mathematician who understands this mode of study can look at the equation of a curve and tell all sorts of interesting and useful properties of it without ever seeing the curve itself, indeed, without even having any mental picture of what the form of the curve may be. Without going into detail, it may be stated that one equation with two variable numbers represents a plane figure, thus x squared plus y squared is equal to 15, represents a circle. One equation with three variable numbers represents a figure in space, thus x squared plus y squared minus z squared is equal to zero, represents a cone. What does one equation with four variable numbers represent, say, for example, x squared plus y squared plus z squared plus omega squared is equal to 20? By analogy, we should say a figure in space of four dimensions. Although we cannot imagine such a thing, we can pursue our analogies and study this unreal figure by means of its equation, and thus we can deduce many of its properties. 
The difference is simply this. Whereas, when we study the equation of a cone, we can always turn to the real cone and interpret our results thereon, when we study an equation of a four-dimensional figure, we have to be satisfied without such an interpretation. In other words, although our geometry halts with three dimensions, our algebra marches on to any number of dimensions and is a stimulus to imagine a geometry of more than three dimensions. We will now outline briefly a way in which algebra may help to give a person some faint notion of a figure having four dimensions. It is somewhat common to study a figure having three dimensions by means of equally spaced parallel sections thereof. For example, if the microscopist wants to study the shape and structure of a germ cell, he slices off exceedingly thin sections and arranges them in succession on a glass slide. Then, by looking at these sections in succession, he can form an idea of the solid structure of the germ cell. Mathematicians have rules by which such sections of a solid figure may be constructed by means of equations. They start with an equation which represents a solid body, for example, x square plus y square plus z square is equal to 9, representing a sphere, and they perform certain operations by which they get a series of resulting equations that represent the successive sections of the solid body. It remains, then, merely to draw pictures of the sections from the data afforded by the resulting equations. By looking at all these pictures, a person may get a fair idea of the shape of the original solid. In the case of a sphere, the sections are circles of varying size. As we have already stated, an equation having four variable numbers should by analogy represent a figure in space of four dimensions. Suppose we have such an equation as x square plus y square plus z square plus omega square is equal to 20. We can apply the same rules and perform the same operations to get sections of the figure represented by this equation. Curiously, but consistently, these sections come out as solid figures. From the data afforded by the resulting equations, the mathematician can model these solid figures in clay and lay them in a row on the table before him. Just as the microscopist looks at the series of sections on his slide to get an idea of the solid structure of the germ cell, so the mathematician can look at the series of clay models before him and possibly feel that he has some idea of the nature of the four-dimensional figure represented by the equation with which he started. Thus we see how the fourth dimension may be studied by means of the equations which algebra furnishes. There is another, bolder way. We have seen that we can hold three pencils so that each one of them will make a right angle with each of the others. Instead of saying that it is absurd to suppose that a fourth pencil can be held in a position so as to form right angles with each of the first three pencils, let us assume that it can be done. Without any further assumptions, a complete geometry of four dimensions can be built up by pure reasoning. Many of its conclusions are no more obvious to the senses than is the fundamental assumption with which it starts. Still, that is the only assumption. 
all else may be deduced from that one assumption and from the principles of our well-known plane and solid geometry. An illustration of a special method in the study of space of four dimensions may serve to show how mathematicians reason about such things without being able actually to imagine them. We proceed by ascertaining the relations between two dimensions and three dimensions, and then establishing these relations by analogy between three dimensions and four dimensions. Suppose we have a glass cube resting on the table before us, and we close one eye and look straight down upon it with the open eye. Its appearance will be as shown in the accompanying drawing. This drawing is really a plain figure of two dimensions, and it might have been produced in the following manner, namely, by drawing one square inside of another, and then drawing lines connecting the corresponding corners. All this could be done without any thought of three dimensions. The bees in the glass hive could draw such a figure as the one here on the paper before us. Nevertheless, on this figure many of the properties of the cube can be studied. By counting the four-sided figures, ABCD, EFGH, AEFB, BFGC, CGHD, DHEA, which we find to be six, we learn how many faces the cube has. By counting the corner points, which are eight, we learn how many corners the cube has. By counting the lines, which are twelve, we learn how many edges the cube has. Just as starting with the squares we are able to get a two-dimensional figure, which, for the purpose of investigation, may be taken as representing the cube, May it not be possible that starting with cubes, we can get a three-dimensional figure which shall represent the four-dimensional figure which we call the cuboid? Just as we draw a smaller square inside of a larger one, so we should think of a smaller cube inside of a larger cube, and just as we drew lines joining the corresponding corners in the case of the squares, so we should make planes joining corresponding edges in the case of the cubes. The figure so formed is somewhat imperfectly pictured in the accompanying drawing, and for the sake of clearness, let us suppose we have such a solid glass figure before us. In the case of the squares, to find from them how many square faces the cube has, we counted the big outer square, the smaller inner square, and the four surrounding figures, and got six as the result. So, in the case of the cubes, to find from them how many cube faces the cuboid has, we count the big outer cube, the small inner cube, and the six surrounding solid bodies, and thus get eight as the result. This indicates that the cuboid has eight cube faces. A further study of this representative figure discovers that the cuboid has 24 plain square faces, 32 edges, and 16 corner points. This shows how we can get a representation of a four-dimensional body, and on this representation we can study its properties. There are many considerations which we have not space to present, which confirm the accuracy of the deductions that have just been stated. What is the use of such generalities, abstractions, and speculations? 
about the same as to know whether the earth goes around the sun or the sun goes around the earth. Space is as properly an object of scientific study as are planets or geological strata. Moreover, the study of these fundamental things in geometry throws light on the nature of our own mental equipment. We learn better what is the nature of reasoning processes and how knowledge is built up from simpler and more fundamental elements. Such speculations sometimes lead to very useful results. If you hold five marbles in your hand and are told to take away eight of them, this suggestion seems as unthinkable as the suggestion of a fourth dimension. But when men chose to represent by minus three the result of subtracting eight from five instead of simply saying it was impossible, then the foundation was laid for the enormously useful science of algebra. The assumption of a fourth dimension has not as yet led to any noteworthy useful results, but it is by no means impossible that the science of four-dimensional geometry may come to have useful applications. It has been suggested by Professor Carl Pearson that an atom may be a place where ether is flowing into our space from a space of four dimensions. It can be shown mathematically that this would explain many of the phenomena of matter. At the present stage, the suggestion is regarded, even by its author, as merely fanciful, though it is not as fanciful as the proposition of the German spiritualists who regard the fourth dimension as the abode of their disembodied spirits. End of section 7